welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Dan Marcello, and I am the Associate Pastor for Families here at Bloomingdale Church, filling in for Max Terman, our regular moderator who is in Kentucky this week, doing things that people do in Kentucky. I think he has a family reunion. He has a family reunion. So we are... Doing it ourselves without Max, so Woo! pray for us. We don't need Max. No, but we miss you, Max. Well, actually, we didn't need Max. I had to call Max because I couldn't <laughs> set it up. We need you, Max. We I love ran you. into a problem. <laughs> With me this week is worship director Scott Reed. Ooh. Yeah. I was the only one cheering for me for like yeah. a good Sorry, I forgot. I, I, my headspace is filled with moderating. I forgot to cheer. I regret yeah. this. Must moderate. <laughs> I'm out of practice. I haven't been here for two or three Associate years. Associate Pastor Bill Calvin. And intern Aaron Alanis. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're so much more than an intern, Aaron. You're a person. I'm a person. <laughs> Scott. Try to channel my best Max impression there. Thank will you. you lead us in prayer? Today? I sure will. Thank Let's you. pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that we can have the podcast, even though Max is away. We thank you that we can be together again. Uh, we can talk about you, talk about your word. We thank you that Aaron can join us. Uh, Lord, and we just pray your blessing on this time together. We pray uh, that the things that we say and the things that we hear would bring glory to you. Uh, Lord, we pray that those who listen to this podcast would be edified by uh, by our conversation and... and uh, Lord, that we would all grow closer to you and closer together because of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, Scott, what do you have for us for Would You Rathers today? All right. Well. Waiting with bated breath. Yes. It's, it's, not, it's not too thrilling. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I also have an improved. <laughs> Way to sell it. Uh, well, it's not, like, it's not like, you know, Toastmasters or, the, sell or <laughs> any of my actual good ideas. But uh, earlier today, I was looking for an icebreaker question for the Young Adults Bible Study. Mm. At the beginning of every uh discussion portion of the Bible study. We have an icebreaker, usually some kind of weird or, or random. And uh, so sometimes they just come to me. More often than that, they just come to Leah. But sometimes I have to look up ideas. And so I, I was looking at this, the only list of icebreaker questions you'll ever need, which I don't think that's true. But um, <laughs> there are 10 here, would you rather icebreaker questions. So I think we're just going to start with you, Dan. We're okay. going to go clockwise around the table. We'll each answer one until we get through all of them. As I said, I have not proofread these. They could be awful. But if this list holds up to its name, they'll at least be okay. All right. Um, Dan, this actually is very familiar to one, or very similar to one we've asked in the past. Dan, would you rather live in the ocean or on the moon? Hmm. In the ocean. Uh, I'm assuming I have like an underwater habitat to live in. I was thinking or like, a, like, a, like a raft. <laughs> yeah. What I live, but what I live in on the moon, I have to breathe. You can understand or you can interpret in and on however you please. Okay. I think I'll go for in the ocean. It's probably easier to visit people I love. Yeah. True. True. You could be like just right off the coast. I could be. Uh, Aaron, would you rather meet your... That's a typo. Would you rather travel back in time to meet your ancestors or to the future to meet your descendants? That is a good question. I would probably go to the future to meet my descendants. Don't break the timeline. What if you hate them? What if they're awful? That's true. If they're awful, then I wasted my time. You have to rethink your whole whole life. What if it's your fault? Bill, uh, would (laughs) would you rather lose all of your money or all of your pictures? 
all my pictures. <laughs> <laughs> He's like new ones. He's got <laughs> mental pictures. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, it'd be a, you're in a, a tough stage in life to lose all of your money. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Would I rather have invisibility or flight? Obviously, flight. Invisibility is like B-tier superpower. Yeah, that's not useful. All right, Dan. Would you rather live where it only snows or the temperature never falls below 100 degrees? Or you could choose Chicago and get them both. (laughs) In the same week. (laughs) Only snows or it never falls below 100 degrees. Probably never falls below 100 degrees. Been there, done that, living in a place where oh it always snows. Oh, gosh. I could never. I can barely stand that the windows are open right now. <laughs> 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 All right, Aaron, would you rather always be slightly late or always be super early? Ooh. Su- super early, for sure. Nice. All right, Bill, would you rather... <laughs> this is a funny question to land on you. Would you rather give up your smartphone or your computer? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Bill? Wow, that's a win-win for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give up the computer, mainly because I get texts of my grandchildren's pictures on the phone. And that's fun. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Plus, the phone is a computer, basically. True. Plus, you can make calls. All right. Would I rather live without heat and AC or live without social media? Without social media, not even a close. <laughs> I could not survive without AC. I could live without heat pretty well, but I don't know. Social Your house media, wouldn't be able to. You have lots care. of pipe problems. <laughs> well, we can yeah. light fires. Well, it depends where you live, too. True. 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 If you're living in Florida, and you could live without heat. Need heat. Yeah. yeah. You really yeah. need AC right. in Florida. Actually, I miscounted. There's actually 12 of these, so we each get an even three. Nice. All right, Dan. Ooh. Would you rather be the funniest or the smartest person in the room? Hmm. Ah, this stage in life, probably the funniest. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice answer. Aaron, would you rather be able to run at 100 miles Whoa. per hour or fly at 10 miles per hour? <laughs> That's an easy one. Pa- run. Well, do I have the same stamina that I have now or do I just... <laughs> is it just... Uh, I would say your stamina will scale... Like, whatever your top speed is now and your stamina in relation to that, it will okay. scale up proportionally. Hmm. I'd say run. You could get... A pretty far distance. Wait, 100 miles per hour. Yeah. Oh, Run for an hour, be, you get 100 miles. You're going to be the star of the NFL, baseball, <laughs> yeah. everything. That's true. 100 miles oh, Man. Hour. I'll make my millions out. Who wants to fly <laughs> at 10 miles per hour? <laughs> well, I do. I'd love to do that. At 10 I mean, miles per hour? Why, 10 I miles want to be able to run real good. fast, too, yeah. though. You, Just to be able to get off the ground and you fly? Make it to the wow. Olympics, dominate. True. Like, Basketball. <laughs> Just imagine you're trying to fly to... He's flying. Whoa. What if you tried to fly to Omaha to visit... Joel and Melissa and your grandkids, it'd take you a long time to fly. Oh, yeah. True. But you could also yeah. take a plane. <laughs> or drive. True. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, drive. you have to choose to fly. <laughs> Be like, true. I'm not there yet. <laughs> true. But I do like that being able to run 100 miles per hour also means that you can run any speed up to 100 miles per hour. So you don't always need to, like, yeah. go you know, for breakneck speed. You can, like... <laughs> I'm going to just trot at 50 I'm gonna miles I'm going to run the marathon at yeah. 50 miles <laughs> yeah. an hour, half speed. Yeah. Wow, the Kenyans are just like this. What <laughs> is happening? All right, Bill, would you, this is actually kind of similar. Would you rather be a superhero or the world's best chef? Oh, a superhero. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and would I rather be an Olympic gold medalist or an astronaut? I have zero interest in going to space, so I will be an <laughs> Olympic gold, gold medalist right. every time. Space is terrifying. <laughs> All right, those were all of them. Those were good. Those were pretty good. And we're still yeah, recording really as it broke down. And, yeah, and uh, this is still going. 
All right, Dan. Scott, give me a number between one and one thousand and one. I feel like Aaron should give us a number between I one think and one thousand. I think your name was here, and I was following <laughs> I the notes dutifully. I'm like, I've done everything. So Aaron, <laughs> give us a number between one and one thousand one. Six hundred seventy-eight. Six hundred and seventy-eight. Oh, I almost opened up right to that. Amazing. Oh, there you go. This is from the book One Thousand One Things I've Always Wanted to Know About the Bible and Never Thought to Ask by Pope. J. Stephen Lang. His name just changes every week, doesn't it? (laughs) 678 says, Christian freedom. Paul, the former Pharisee who had been obsessed with following the many regulations of the Jewish law, rejoiced that Christianity gave more freedom. Not freedom to be immoral, but freedom from fastidious details. Chapter five of it, it's is chapter five of is epistle to the Galatians. <laughs> That's a typo. Is the Bible's greatest freedom chapter. Paul affirmed that Christians please God by being led by the Spirit, not by obeying rules. He told the Galatians, "Though you serve one another, for all the law is through." Oh, wait, okay, this is full of weirdness. Though through love serve one another, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Reactions to Christian freedom full of grammar errors I, in yeah, the text. I'm like, I feel like I took away like nothing because I was so distracted by the t- errors. <laughs> and then actually when you read the first error, I was like, well, did he write it ex cathedra? <laughs> in which case it's not an error. Yeah, he's, he used to be my favorite pope, Stephen J. Lane. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so now essentially, freedom as Christians... From the fastidious details of legalism and being fulfilling the law by loving your neighbor as yourself. Mm. Reactions to that? Just that how, how legalism um, can really just breed like a culture of, of shame and guilt. Mm. Um, because when you have like a legalistic society, or even like, you know, under the law in the Old Testament, it, like the law wasn't, I guess, kind of by definition, the law was. Legal is, I mean, it comes from the same word, but like it was the application of the law from the Pharisees that really got into legalism. But even just under that, like there's all of these different ways in which you can kind of mess up and then now you're unclean or, or in, in other societies, you know, now you, you lost points or whatever. And then you just kind of have this like weight of, of what you've done and the ways that you've screwed up. Uh, whereas like being freed from that through Christ, yes, we still make mistakes, but those mistakes aren't aren't these huge burdensome things that are just like constantly being thrown in our face by the system that we're in. Like Jesus has lifted off that burden, hmm. um, and so you know, you really beyond you know conviction in your spirit by the Holy Spirit. Like you don't need to feel that weight of shame and guilt and like I should do better. It's like no, you you can't do better. That's why Jesus came. Mm-hmm. I, I read. Well, actually, I listened to Galatians today, and the mm. book of Galatians is all about that. Paul confronts them about the matter. They've gone from grace back to law, and he says, have you read the law? <laughs> Do you remember how this was? You were doing so well. Who cut in on you? Boy, it, it is an awful thing to see Christians go from grace to now we're going to keep the law. Mm. What a futile way to live. Mm. Yeah. And imagine being stuck in a, a religion, a faith. Like I think of Islam. I don't believe that its adherents are ever sure if they're going 
to heaven or if Allah will be pleased with them. And just being under that like a legalistic hierarchy structure, just how much uncertainty that must generate about your own eternal destiny of like, I don't, I don't know if I'm pleasing God or not. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I did everything on this side of the list, but I missed a couple. Is that going to disqualify me? Is it not? And having a God that is so conditional, the love isn't unconditional, but it's based on what you do. Uh, that just must feel so horrible, mm-hmm. so lonely. And yet it's like so in keeping with human nature to kind mm-hmm. of, fear back to that Hmm. in the way that we set up our, even our churches, the way we think about things, you know, I feel like we have to constantly be, we have to constantly be kind of Hmm. checking ourselves and and making sure we're not applying these Hmm. legalistic standards to other people. I, you know, I think they give us a sense of control. Like we understand like what we need to do and we understand what other people need to Hmm. do to be, you know, to be good people or to be right with God. Uh, we, I think we long for that, mm. that control and that being able to like really clearly see the, the steps. Mm. Um, when really it's just, you know, we're, we're making these impossible standards. Like we can't mm. live up to them. And yet we still kind of like drift into them yeah. away from just God's grace. Very true. Bless you, Bill. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else? Any thoughts before we move on to our a word from our sponsor? Were you looking something up, Aaron? I was, but I didn't get anything out of it. So oh, okay, that's <laughs> okay. I've done that. <laughs> well, we have a word from our sponsor today, which is the Boomerang Course. Yeah. Are you a people person? No. Even if you're not a people person, <laughs> yeah. does it bother you when people are ignored? Mm-hmm. Do you want to be part of a movement within our church to help people come to salvation, fit in, and experience the abundant Christian life? Come be a part of Boomerang at Bloomingdale Church. Learn how to engage with guests and make people feel known, noticed, and loved. The Boomerang Course, Sundays, July 11th to August 29th at 10.30 a.m. meeting in the Coffee House. Visit bloomingdalechurch.org slash boomerang to learn more. I had the chance to teach this class on Sunday and had a blast. And I recommend that you come. I think it's got, what, three weeks left, Bill? Yes. So it's not too late. Come for the last three weeks. So how long has this been? Cla- this class been going on so far? Like a month and a half? Five weeks have been completed. Three weeks to go. But what's really cool about it is I was planning on teaching this class. And right away it was, oh, wait a minute. You've got to do communion. You've you got to leave the class, run upstairs, do communion. All right, that worked out fine. Daniel Wright filled in. It went real well. Then, uh-oh, you're preaching this week. You can't even go to class. you got to find somebody to teach for you. So Daniel Riemenschneider taught. Then you're going to your high school reunion. You, you're not even going to be there. you got to get another person. So Daniel Marcello taught. And really what we've had is lots of teachers, and, and the class has taken ownership of it more so than... Yeah, they're you know, great. This, this is the teacher's class. No, this is everybody's class. Yeah. Hmm. What do you, so as an eight-week class, what what are you covering, like, week to week? As I know the gist, but, like, if you got eight sessions, like, how are they kind of divided up? Well, I'd need the table of contents in front of me, but the week Daniel Riemenschneider taught, he was showing them our church platform for being able to be interconnected and that it's changing. Mm -hmm. So 
in Boomerang, one of their great ideas is this simple. People who are looking at your website, why not have it set up so they can register their kids before they even come, just like we do for day camp. So they can walk in the door, their kids are already registered, they don't need to stand too long at the check-in counter. My hope is that we'll also have one of those movable type signs up that says, welcome Joe and Mary, Ed and Sally, so that they feel like, whoa, they're expecting us. We're, they, nobody's ever given us a greeting like this. So that, that was Daniel's. Why don't you tell them what you did this past yeah, week, Dan? We talked about next steps and what things can we, should we do as a church or not do to help people take their next steps, like in getting involved in the church. So I like, mm. talked about the dangers of giving people too much information and making them feel overwhelmed, the, how we should try to remember people's names, go out of our way to invite them to things that maybe we're a part of, like maybe like just keep it to like one thing. Like if you go to men's group and you meet someone, say like, why don't you come with me? Mm -hmm. Someone gave a testimony of how during like their first week, someone invited them to ladies Bible study and they're like, oh, I'll get plugged in. So mm -hmm. it, it was the really good discussion that I felt from the class. Aaron was there. He might feel otherwise, but I won't ask him. Like, <laughs> no, I, I thought it was great. I think one of like the greatest things that I took away from it was that you really need to adhere to people because people have different like experiences or like some people they really want to get involved and their initial take at coming into a church is, man, I want to get plugged in and I want to do this and that. And others, they might not have that mentality or way of thinking when they go to the church. Um, mm -hmm. I believe that like a lot of people view church just like, Without the proper understanding, they might just view it as something for the layman or something for the workers or staff and not so much for the layman. Mm -hmm. So they're just receiving all the time. So they, they come to church, and that's, that's great because, you know, we, we all need God and we all need to get poured into, and the church is there for that. But it's also... Um, forgiving as well so kind of like what scott was talking about when you when you preach this past sunday well the sunday before um like the call for the call for every believer to take part and to to take reign and becoming um like a member of, of the body um and so you have a role that that God has given you and has equipped you through the spirit to do something and to mm -hmm. act and function as a, as a part of the body, whatever part that is, but it, but it is important. And when the spirit gives us gifts, it's not so much for ourselves because we don't really, it's not for us, but it's for others. Mm -hmm. When when we prophesy, it, it's point. for someone else. It's, it's not yeah. for not like ourselves. encouraging yourself. Yeah. Come on, self, pick it up. Yeah, and when we, the gift of serving, for, it's not for you. You're not serving yourself. You're so, you're serving others, and so mm -hmm. when the Spirit equips us, it has little much to do with us, but so much more for the body to gain from that, and to love one another, and and to glorify God through, and and make God shine. Mm. So well it's kind of interesting. I yeah. kind of went on a rant, but... No, that was great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we didn't have a um, sermon roundup as a part of this, but it was good that you... It was a good connection you brought in. Yeah. That was good. 
And Scott knows that you were paying attention during his sermons. Yes. Yeah. Which was so a terrific message. Yeah. So it's interesting to see, okay, what, what are people thinking about the church? How, how do they mm. want to get plugged in? Do they want to get plugged in? What do we do about that as people who mm. want them to be plugged in and want to care about them? And we want them to get plugged in because we love them, right? We want to love them. Mm. It's not just to get another body in here, you know. Right. It's more so to get people out of the darkness into mm. the light, show them God. Mm. So yeah. what do you do about that? It's mm. a good question. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks for bringing that up. Good connection to the message this week. And we have our topic of the week coming up. The topic of the week is very interesting this week. It is listener mail. I don't know if we've ever had that before as topic of the week. Listener mail. For topic of the week this week, it's time for listener mail. Scott, apparently the listener mail bell fell in Lake Michigan. <sighs> According to my, I don't know how it got there. I wasn't even at Lake Michigan. What were you doing with the listener belt? And it's currently drying off in my office, apparently. Your office? Yes. I didn't even, I didn't see it there. Well, good for it. It needs a break. Do you have another instrument on hand? I'm going to try. I I haven't previewed this, but I have the listener mail gone. And we're going to... We might also have a listener mail YouTube ad. We'll find out what happens when (laughs) 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 Ah, wait. It, it just happened right away. Let's let's hit it again, for the sake of the listeners. Yeah. All right. Oh, that's that really is good. very impressive. Thank you, Scott, for bringing the listener mail gong. Appreciate that, listeners. Yeah, if you'd like to be a part of the show, you can send questions, would you rather's, trivia quizzes, and instruments of your very own mm. to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org, just like Lexi did. Mm. And Lexi writes <clears throat> the following for us to discuss today. I wanted to share a topic that I'm interested in hearing everyone's thoughts on, and despite what I say about it, feel free to take it in any direction you'd like. Thank you, Lexi, for that freedom. Theology of work. I know you kind of touched on this recently, but would you talk about the idea of our work, defined in more ways than just what's done for money, being for God and knowing that it's just as important as those in ministry slash non-secular jobs? So thanks again, Lexi, for sending that question in. So let's dive in. Bill, we'll, we'll hear from you first. Do you agree that secular jobs are just as important as ministry jobs? Yes. And the reason is your secular job should be a calling. Mm. I realize some secular jobs are simply a starting point for you. I don't think mm. there's too many people called to have a career in being the fry man at McDonald's. Mm. But when you're 15 years old and you're getting started, there's great dignity in that. There's dignity in all work. And finding your calling in life is really important. Mm. So your calling might be the pastorate, but your calling might also be to be an accountant or to be, even if you're underwhelmed by your calling, perhaps you're pretty sharp and yet you're working a job you don't care that much for, but you do care about your family. And you want to provide. I remember one time as a kid making a mistake and saying, well, that guy's a flunky. And my mom said, no, you that's not true. I said, well, yeah, because I went to camp and my counselor said, I was sweeping floors. I was a flunky. She said, listen, see that man sweeping the floors over there? This is probably his second job. He's probably doing it in order to get his kid through college. He's not a flunky. Hmm. 
boy, that really stuck with me. It's like, yeah, that is a, that is true. That that is really a good way of looking at it. That all work has dignity, and there's a calling to work. And the people who are blessed to know that calling and pour themselves into it and have a job they can sink their teeth into, they are truly blessed. Then there are other jobs that I think we all just do them temporarily because they're they're critical. They got to be done, but but we don't want to spend our whole life doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Scott, it looks like you've got something you'd like I to share too. Do. I thank you, Bill. I'm glad that. that I looked at Max's notes. <laughs> For this, because otherwise I wouldn't have brought this book. Um, but and I think that this I did bring this up when we talked about this before. But I don't know if I had the book with me. I'm going to read some of this because I think this is really good uh, about a, kind of a theology of work. This mm-hmm. is actually this is the book I referenced in my sermon. This is Seek First by Jeremy Treat, mm-hmm. um, and he says, um, "Let's see. Basically, uh, everyone." puts in roughly 80,000 hours of, like, career work in their life. And he says, my point, it is the workplace, not the sanctuary, where most Christians live out their faith. Hmm. If God's reign shapes all of life, then it must shape one's view of work. How does faith in Christ inform our work? Many people immediately think of sharing the gospel in the office or making loads of money to give to ministry and missions. While neither of those are wrong, a kingdom vision of God's reign over all of life instills our work with greater meaning and motivation. Many people think of God's work in the world solely in terms of spiritual salvation. And while spiritual salvation is essential, the biblical vision of the kingdom of God is not about plucking souls from a fallen creation. It is about God saving people in his renewal of creation. God is constantly at work in sustaining and renewing the world, and he does much of his work through us, often working through our work. The Bible says the Lord gives food to every creature, Psalm 136, verse 25. But how does he feed them? God doesn't snap his fingers and make food appear on a plate. Rather, he feeds people through the farmer, the truck driver, the grocer, the cook, and the server. As Martin Luther said, God could easily give you grain and fruit without your plowing and planting, but he does not want to do so. God provides through the vocations of people. He is milking the cow through the vocation of the milkmaid, as Luther argued. Uh, This means that all types of work matter in the kingdom of God. Jesus is working through the vocations of his people who are salt and light in the industries where the Lord has placed them, witnessing in the way they do their work to a better kingdom. That's why in scripture many of God's people have vocations that would be considered secular today. Mm -hmm. Joseph was in politics. Daniel was a student. Boaz was a businessman. Nehemiah was a city planner. Lydia was a designer. And Jesus was a carpenter. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then... There's this kind of cool list. This is God's work in our vocations. Redemptive work. God's saving and reconciling actions through pastors, counselors, and peacemakers. Creative work. God's fashioning of the physical and human world through musicians, poets, painters, architects, interior designers. Providential work. God's provision for and sustaining of human humans and creation through mechanics, plumbers, firefighters. Justice work. God's maintenance of justice through judges, lawyers, and law enforcement. Compassionate work. God's involvement in comforting, healing, guiding, and shepherding through doctors, nurses, paramedics, psychologists, social workers. And revelatory work, God's work to enlighten with truth uh, through educators, scientists, and journalists. Mm. Um, so I just thought that was, that I read fantastic. that kind of a while ago, and I just thought that was really good. Because, like, I, I've seen this. I've, I've heard people say, you know, like, 
it, you know, secular work is just as important as sacred work because, you know, you're out there and you got to do your, you know, you got to share the gospel where you're at, which is true. Um, but then, like, I really love this other side of it, too, that, like, in all of the roles in the world, basically, except for those that are kind of inherently sinful, um, you're doing, like, the Lord's work of, you know, creativity and mm-hmm. justice and mercy and yeah. compassion and provision, like, all of these really... Like, I'd never thought of that before, mm-hmm. um, but I really like that idea. Yeah. And it really goes in line with what we see in, in Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the roles and the jobs that God gives to, to Adam and to Eve in naming the animals and in cultivating the garden. Um, and we, you know, we see that that obviously carries through after the fall too. Like this is just part of, of who God made us to be. He made us to work alongside him. Mm. You know, I really like that. I'm thinking about when I sold cars. I wish I could say every day was this good because that would have been even more awesome. But one day I was showing a lady some used cars and she had her budget in mind and she kept gravitating to all these bad cars on the lot and I couldn't take it because I I know which cars are bad. You don't want to buy this car. So finally, just out of frustration, I turned to her and said, Hey, do you want me to sell you a piece of junk? And and she was just, well, no, well, no. So then then you got to trust me to steer you towards the cars that are running well on this lot. Mm. And mm. it was like a light went on her head. She says, oh, oh, okay, I will. And we I still remember we landed on some Oldsmobile that was in decent repair in her price range. And she was so thankful. Then there was another time this lady kept coming around to the car lot about every two months to buy a $200 car, mm. drive it for a month or two. It would die. She'd buy another one. And I ended up working with her one day, and I stopped and said, wait a minute. Do you have a job? Yes. Do do you work full-time? Yes. I think you're going to qualify for a loan. I want to show you this car. And I, I knew this car had been on the lot for three or four months. It was running fine. It was in good shape but nobody wanted it because it was orange. Hmm. I mean, really, in fact, or tangerine, just as orange as this cable on the (laughs) table here. So I knew the car lot would really go as low as humanly possible, maybe even below what they had in this car, because they were losing money on it every day they owned it, simply because... Car lots do not own the cars. The banks own the cars. And the car lots have an interest payment to make on all their inventory. So they can't afford to have a car just sit there forever. Hmm. So she went for a, a ride in this car and said, I like it. We wrote up the deal. She got a really good deal on it. She qualified for the loan. She drove off in a car that was going to last her a few years. Mm-hmm. Made me feel so good because I think this is what a Christian could be doing. If, and you think, mm-hmm. what if the whole world was working at mm-hmm. that level that you could go to a car lot and you've got people looking out for you and they're yeah. going to steer you to the right car and you're going to get a good deal on it 
And the car dealership's going to be happy because you sold a car that nobody could get rid of. Um, I, I, that's the vision God has in mind for our world. That's going to be the millennial kingdom. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I suspect you're right. Yeah. Imagine how transformed the world would be if everyone acted like that and all the different professions yeah. out there. And, and then we could trust each other, too. Hmm. You know, like that lady, the first lady, she, she had no trust in her heart. But being jarred with, do you want me to sell you a piece of junk? <laughs> oh, of course not. No one wants that. So those were good yeah. days at the car lot. You know, not every day was a good mm. day. You know, not a banner day for Jesus Christ. Uh. <laughs> 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 this is an interesting topic to me because I'm preparing a sermon about this, about Colossians three twenty three to 25 for Labor Day of all times mm. to talk about what, what, how do we work with all our heart, right? Because whatever you do, do it with all your heart as for the Lord and not for men. And actually, Timothy Keller in his book, Every Good Endeavor, talks about how if we work for ourselves, if it's for our own self-interest, for what we want, it really sucks the joy out of our life. Like, we weren't designed by God to, to do that. Mm. Uh, but how do, we, how do we make it happen? How do we, what does it mean to work for the Lord and not for men? And how do we, how do, we do that on a daily basis? Any, any thoughts on that? One thing that helps me is just being on my knees at the very beginning of the day, mm. Mm. going over who I am as a Christian, starting out with the words, I am a child of God, and ending up with the words, therefore I come humbly yet boldly to ask largely of my mm. infinite God. I need that reminder, and I'm in the ministry, so I think all of us need that reminder. That we're walking with God, the Holy Spirit's filling us. We ought to be able to serve God and mankind. He'll, he'll create the opportunities for us. Mm-hmm. The way that I've that I have always thought about that verse is kind of in terms of of pursuing excellence in all that you do. Yeah. Um, and I, I really like the idea of excellence um, because in my opinion, excellence is not like, it's not objective quality. It's really based on what you can do, what you are capable of doing. Um, you know, for someone who, for someone who has a debilitating, you know, neurological disease, excellence is walking themselves to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. But for Usain Bolt, excellence is running faster than any human beings ever run. Like, those are both excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, same kind of activity, very different True. spectrum of ability, um, both excellent. Uh, and and I, I think, you know, is so working for the Lord and not for man? And and how often, hopefully not too often, but how often do we, you know, if, if we're doing something, we... Uh, it's 4.30, I'm off at 5. This is really a, an hour-long project, but I think I can squeeze it in a half hour if I could just kind of cut these corners, and no one's really going to notice. I'm, mm. I'm the only one that's really going to notice. And um, But if, if God were your... You know, if you really were literally working for God and you you brought some kind of subpar project to Him, imagine that Imagine that conversation. God knows. What's, what's this here? What? Oh, I... Well, I, I didn't want to do that the way that I knew it should have been done because mm. I wanted to, 
you know, I wanted some extra time to watch TV. Oh, okay. What about what about this this right here? Yeah. Well, I fudge the numbers on that a little bit because I like that's the kind of thing that's the kind of conversation you'd have to have with God if you're mm. not working at it with all your heart because mm. God knows when you're cutting those corners and true. And if you're doing it for Him, like oh, who wants to have to admit to God like, oh, I didn't. I didn't do this to the best of my ability, oh, man, God. No. I, did, I, I want to give you this subpar offering. Um, this is, hopefully no one. Hopefully no one wants to live like that. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, you can't... This is also an important... It's an imbalancing act. You can't give 100% to everything that comes onto your table. Um, but given your best, mm-hmm. like you can give your best for everything that comes mm-hmm. on your table. Your best might be different on different days. Um you might not have the emotional or intellectual or energy capacity to do, you know, everything at the same level always, but, you know, mm. pursuing excellence to glorify God because everything we're doing is an offering to him. Yeah. And uh, we see what happens in the story of Cain and Abel when, when one person gives excellently and the other cuts corners. Yeah. I'm thinking about kind of some things that have been marinating as I've been preparing this message and thinking when we do work with all our heart, I think, well, what's the point of it? Then, like, what do we get out of it? Well, I think what it's what others get out of it, kind of like we're talking about spiritual gifts. Aaron was mentioning what you had preached on, Scott. When we work at it all of our heart, I think people can't help but notice, people around us mm-hmm. can't help but say, like, there's something different about how this person's working. They're going above and beyond. They're, when even when no one's looking, and that can be a real opportunity to share the gospel in of itself. If someone like, what, why did you do it that way? Well, it's for the Lord. Yeah. Well, tell me more about that. Yeah. And I remember having an encounter with a boss one time. It was like, why are you doing this? You did a really good job. Why are you doing this above and beyond? Like, it's to glorify God, which is probably a weird answer. Mm-hmm. It's what popped into my head to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you get to give kind of testimony of why you do what you do mm. and work it in. And, and people will notice because it's not all that common in jobs that people, especially like secular jobs for people to go above and beyond what they have to do or what the bare minimum of what's expected or to just meet right at that line. Mm. There's a, one other thing I wanted to mention, but I'm forgetting it. All right. It'll come to me. Maybe it won't come to me. It was really good too. Well, I thought it was good. <laughs> I thought it was good. It'll, it'll come back. You've got a good memory. <laughs> <clears throat> well, when you were oh, speaking, I got Scott. It. Oh, oh, go ahead. Don't, don't lose it. No, it's that, it. you know, even when we do work with all of our heart, it's not necessarily a guarantee that it's always going to go our way, like favorably in a job. I think mm. we've all known people, too, that have done an excellent job. And then maybe the coworkers get jealous mm. because the person is doing such a good job that they feel like this person is shining me up. Mm. And they have seniority and they kind of tr- start treating the other person bad or even in like a school setting. Like how many times have we known people, or maybe it's happened to us, where we do a good job and get kind of ridiculed, like, oh, you're you're just being smart, or you got a good grade. I remember getting picked on a little bit in like eighth grade, because like, oh, you got good grades. Like it's it's not a guarantee that things will always be perfect. I'm sure there's been people out there that have lost their job for for doing this, mm. but it still doesn't change the fact that it's something God commands of us. And even if it we don't get the recognition we think we deserve from it, mm. when it when it becomes for God, even if something happens around it that's not favorable to us. We can rest that we, we obeyed God and mm. he's working out something for our good even though the circumstance might be difficult. Yeah, that just made me think about something. So I guess you got to go back to kind of what Bill was talking about. You know, you, you, 
are you, you got to ask yourself, if you're asking yourself, you know, how do I live uh, for the Lord through what I'm doing in my work? Well, you're already at a good start because you're already asking a pretty crucial question mm. and you're coming at it with, well, how am I going to do this for the Lord? Mm. And so, yeah, I think a, a big part of it is starting off your day right and having the and and coming to God um, to to start off your day just through prayer and mm-hmm. reading the Word. And so you got to ask yourself, well, how do I discern that? Well, you got to know what God says. You got to know what what His Word says and and what He commands us to do. And I was just thinking about. Um, I forget where it's at. I know it's in Luke, and I know it's in another chapter of the Bible, but um, Jesus shares that, that he's going to come back, and he's going to come back um, with judgment. And so and when he, um, the day that he comes back, he's going to sh- separate the sheep mm-hmm. and the goats, mm-hmm. right? And he's going to tell the sheep, you know, what they did. He's like, good job, because you did this, this, and that. You, you saw me hungry and you fed me and you saw me naked and you clothed me and you did this and that. And the, and the response was, when do we do that? Mm-hmm. You know? So, mm-hmm. so it is true. You know, it might go like what you're doing might go unnoticed mm-hmm. and you might not even notice it yourself that you are mm-hmm. doing it for the Lord in your, in the mundane mm-hmm. going through life mm-hmm. kind of things. So you, you, you might not even know that you're doing it, but but it all comes back to following what God says, what his word says, by f- um, fulfilling his great command to love others, to love God and, and to love others as yourself. And I think by doing that, you're already on the right track. Mm-hmm. You're doing the Lord's work in trying to see Jesus in others and, mm. and, and already going at it like, I'm going to live today for the Lord. What yeah. I do today is it's for God. I think that's an excellent point. Then it takes it out of just things that you do for money. It could really be anything we do for the Lord with a good attitude. If we go mow the lawn, well, I'm going to do it for the Lord. I do it to take care of my home, have a sense of pride in where I live, and it's for God. And that probably sounds really like mowing the lawn for the Lord. <laughs> Pulling weeds or even the yeah. mundane tasks we don't particularly enjoy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So last thing before we move on here. Uh, I think it's really easy for any of us to have that feeling of, well, the thing that I'm doing as I'm working for isn't, you know, doesn't seem worthy in quotes. Like if you work at a gas station or you work in a factory, an office building, like how do we get rid of that feeling if we if it is that we struggle with it of like, oh, this isn't like really important work for God's kingdom. It's it's like, it's kind of meaningless. Like kind of like you were talking about, Bill, like being the fry guy at McDonald's, like, if someone, if one of our listeners is kind of in that stage of life right now, how do they kind of push back against it and say, like, no, this is important? What advice would you have? I think what Aaron just said, um, you know, that the passage uh, with the sheep and the goats, mm-hmm. um, it kind of is a reminder that that the mundane work in this world um, has eternal significance. Um, you know, Jesus says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was naked, you clothed me. Uh, and then, you know, like Aaron said, like, when did we do that? And it's like, anytime you did that for like one of the least of these, you did it for me. It's like, anytime, anytime you perform an act of service, anytime 
you know, you do anything for the Lord, it has eternal significance, uh, no matter what it is. Uh, and I think I was actually, <laughs> this is kind of funny. So in my sermon, if, if you didn't hear it, I opened up with talking about the movie Goodwill Hunting. Which I've never seen, now I have to see it because you talked about it. Yeah, I've, I kind of, I wasn't really thinking about this when I brought it up. I was just like, oh, this really connects with this idea of like, you know, living up to your potential. But then afterwards, uh, Greg M. in our church was like, uh, I bet you, you know, you didn't show the clip because I just described it. So you didn't show the clip because of the language, right? And I was like, honestly, I didn't even think about showing the clip. But yeah, uh, that's true. That movie has really severe language because it's the culture that they're in, uh, South Boston. It's the way that they talk there. Um, so, you know, before you go into it, be aware that there's a lot. <laughs> okay. There's a lot of language. <laughs> Good but, to know. Uh, I think it gets better as the movie goes on. Um, anyway, uh, so that's something to be aware of. Why did I start talking about that? Oh, yes. So then after I finished the message and Lee and I went home on Sunday, there was like several Facebook posts. I think one of them was Therese Z who said something. She tagged me in it and she was like, I bet Amazon is wondering why there's like a surge of people renting Goodwill Hunting in the Bloomingdale area. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so then Lee and I, we actually watched it too. We watched it on Monday night because it had been a while since mm -hmm. I'd seen it. And there's this scene in it where Will is talking to Robin Williams, who plays his counselor. Um, and Will is kind of trying to, he's trying to justify not really pursuing living to his fullest. Um, but the way that he's doing it is really valid. He's talking about uh, these different kind of jobs that, that because Again, if you didn't hear the sermon, Will, or if you haven't seen the movie, Will is a genius, but he, he lives in a really rough neighborhood. He works kind of a blue-collar job. And he's like, you know, basically what he says to Robin Williams is, what's wrong with fixing someone's car? Fixing someone's car? Like, there's honor in that. I'm, I might be helping someone get to work the next day. Mm -hmm. um, and Robin Williams is like, yeah, there is honor in that. And And he's like... And then Will says, like, what's wrong with, you know, laying brick? Like, you know, I'm giving someone a home. And Robin Williams is like, yeah, like, my dad laid brick. Um, and so it, it just makes me think of that. Like, you know, if you're working at a gas station, like, we need we need you yeah. to work at a gas station. We're not you necessarily. But we need people there because otherwise, like, people wouldn't begin to work. People wouldn't be able to drive their wife to the hospital when she's given birth. Like, they wouldn't be able to go visit family. Like, that is so important that we have access to gasoline. And you, as a gas station worker, are making that possible. Uh, mm. I don't remember what the other examples were that you gave, but... Um, I was thinking of someone working in a hotel, changing the sheets on a bed. I was yeah. just kind of visualizing that. Like, yeah. How important is that? Even though they probably get very little credit for what they do. Right. Or sweeping a floor. Like, when you go into a room that has a nice, clean floor, you might not notice it, but when you go into a room that's got clutter and yeah. dust, and like, it's gross, and you notice it, and it's mm -hmm. not pleasant. All Anything that you could be doing, it, it's... If you're getting paid for it, it's because it's providing service to people. Mm. Uh, and so it's inherently valuable. Mm. Any last thoughts before we wrap up? Going once? <laughs> Going twice? <No>. Sold! <laughs> I had a thought, but I, again, it, it escaped me. I was <laughs> listening to Scott, and I was like, this is great. <laughs> and then I just pushed it down. <laughs> oh, one, yeah, last thing. Yeah, it came, came back. back. Came back. There you it go. always comes back. But Paul doesn't make a distinction between classes of work in Colossians 3. It says, mm -hmm. whatever you do. Mm -hmm. It's not, whatever you do, especially if you're a pastor, or right. whatever you do if you're in an office building, or whatever you do if you have a quote-unquote important job, that every job is important in God's mm -hmm. sight. And whatever you're doing, 
do it for the Lord, whether you consider it menial or not. So just a thought to end on, I suppose. Yeah. We have a closing segment, which is bonus listener mail edition, wife edition. Not my wife. <laughs> Scott's wife, Leah. Nice. Writes into the into podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org and says, question in caps. She was yelling at us, question. Acts <laughs> right. 8, 36 to 40. Did Philip teleport? It's, a, it's not my fault. It's the way it's written in my notes. It's Max's fault. For, so it's Acts 8, 36 to 40. Did Philip teleport? We kind of we talked about we this. We chatted like, about this. I'll read Acts 8, 36 to 40. Actually, Aaron, would you read Acts 8, 36 to 40? Listeners are tired of listening to the sound of my voice. They want to hear your silly voice. I will. Acts 8, 36 to 40. Okay. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed there, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Well, I think it's pretty clear that he teleported. What do you guys think? I mean, it sounds like it. I mean, we weren't there, but it's like he appeared... Right. It's true. It says I mean, in this version, and what does it say in your version in the ESV? Um, on where? Uh, in the last, in verse forty, I think, or thirty-nine or forty. So like, uh, he appe- is it appeared at Azotus? Azotus. He found. Himself. He, he, found yeah, himself. he found himself. That's he what was like. Well, I found myself here. Yeah, I hmm. think he teleported. I do too. And it's not the only instance in the Bible. In the Gospels, Jesus. Hmm. I think it's the time he walked on water. He gets yes. into the boat, and then. In one of the accounts, it says, and they Instantly. immediately landed the boat on shore. Yeah. And you think, what? Yeah, right. But it's something you gloss over. You never hear anybody preach a sermon on it. Like, <laughs> right. you can't read that verse and then say, go thou and do likewise. <laughs> <laughs> go teleport. <laughs> True. Yeah, we also see it in Second Kings with Elijah, too, hmm. when he gets brought up. What does it say? It says that, um, and as they still went on and talked, behold, the chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Well, at least it tells us it's a mm-hmm. whirlwind. But mm-hmm. And Enoch, true. he was taken away by was the Lord. No more. Yeah. He was yes. no more. He got teleported to heaven or something. 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 You got to do like a uh, like a word study on, it said like he, car- like, right. he got carried away into heaven. So, yeah. I don't know. Philip got carried on Jesus' back. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. So, teleportation yeah. does exist in the Bible. All right. Well, and Jesus ascended into heaven. He did. I mean, yes. Really, we shouldn't be shocked that something oh. unbelievable is happening here with Philip because it's God. Mm-hmm. He can do anything. True. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that is all the time that we have for this week. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Bill, can you please take us on home? My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> you have been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast, brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the heart of the nation. Ooh, all right. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> all right, guys. Oh, man, that's a wrap. Right.
That's a wrap. So now we know that it's Max that makes these things go so long. <laughs> True. <laughs> oh, Max. Um, at my parents' church, they're going through Genesis. And a week or two ago, um, he preached on, the pastor there preached on the, uh, the genealogy in like Genesis, I don't know, five or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I only heard a little bit, but it was very good. Like, Good for him. You, sir, have a gift. Um, it was, yeah, I want to listen to the whole thing, but it, Enoch was in there, which is oh, what I think of it, yeah. Um, but it, I think it was sort of like, you know, most of, the gist of what I got from what I heard um, was that most of the genealogy is just, you know, this person, and then this person, this person. But there's like a couple people that have like a li- like Enoch, who have like a little bit more. Um, and um, and I think it was like those people that he kind of honed in on it and drew like a couple I forgot exactly what the premise was. I don't know if it was like God uses these kinds of people or or huh. or something. But then he had like four or five categories of. That's really uh, cool. I'm like, yeah, I'd go preach on the opening chapters of like Chronicles. <laughs> 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 that is interesting. Yeah. So if you want to, if you're looking to hear someone preach a sermon on a genealogy, which that's our, I, that'd I, be crazy. I don't envy that. That'd be crazy to see it on Genesis. Yeah. Because I'm thinking of Matthew, and, like, when I was reading through Matthew, I was like, it'd be kind of easier because you're thinking. Right, because a lot of those people have their own stories yeah. that you can draw from. Yep. Yep. And just by, like, whatever, like, oh, what is Matthew trying to get at? He's trying to show his audience who Jesus was because obviously he's ending it off by saying, right. oh, this is the line. This is so it should to the Jewish audience say something like, "Oh, okay, this is from the Davidic, Davidic line." He's right, yeah, all the way back to Abraham, and yeah. So it's kind of you could go a lot more with that than like in yeah, Genesis, Genesis like, random names about these people. Yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure.